Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. God and sinners reconciled. You know, and this word reconciled is what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. But we're going to look at what covenants are today, next week, the new covenant specifically, and then reconciliation and how we carry that message of reconciliation in the third week. But it's a big deal to understand what covenants are, what the old covenant is, and what the new covenant is. There actually, there actually been four covenants, and you could say the, the new covenant or the better covenant is a fifth covenant. It's the covenant with Jesus that we rest within. But it also explains everything about why we can say things like, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now, important distinction, when we say things like that, we're not talking about our flesh. We're not talking about our mind per se. We're not talking about our actions in this world. We're talking about the identity that God has reshaped and remade inwardly in our spirit and in that spirit side of this new heart that you've been given. So you could say in spirit, in the eternal aspect of who and what you are, the part of you that will live forever when you pass on from this dimension into that eternal dimension and you shed this body, that part of you is 100% righteous right now. And as we know, the things that are not seen are more real than the things that are seen. Amen? Amen. And much of Christianity focuses on treating you as if you are a bag of skin and bones and trying to shape up those skin and bones to act right. But if I, I'm convinced that if you are sown into in your heart according to who you are in your spirit, this bag of bones will shape itself up and follow the spirit inside of you. Amen? Yes. Now, does that mean you can continue in sin? No, that's not very healthy. It's not very smart. It'll harden your heart and cause all kind of damage for yourself. You know, I don't know why people think that when you hear a message like this. But this idea of covenants is very interesting to me. And it helps us really understand where we are with God, how he sees us, and how he uh, relates to us in different kinds of covenants now and in the future and on forever. So we actually have a video that we're going to start with today, a Bible project video. It's about five minutes, but uh, th this will set us up and then we'll kind of unpack that a little bit. So let's watch this video. The idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend or your father or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. 
it's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises, and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. 
So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. Yeah. Wow. You know, I love these guys for the for for lots of reasons, but like top on the list right now is because they use the word bailing on the covenant, right? I just love that kind of that they're not so stuffy about their you know, here's what's interesting about this is that this so this ministry, the Bible project, if you have not engaged with their website and their apps and their YouTube channel, I'm telling you, dive in. And I really, we actually, I just added it to our, the journey. You know, the journey is our discipleship path through this church. If you come here, we are committed to several things, one of which is providing a clear and defined discipleship track that you can plug into. I've added reading through the Bible with the Bible Project as part of the journey. Uh, they have an app. It's called Read Scripture. And it's, it's really cool because they rearrange the books of the Bible in actual chronological order. Because, you know, if you read the Old Testament, you might read something that comes, you know, like a prophecy that comes after it was actually already fulfilled because the prophet that's in the order has already, the, what he prophesied was actually you already read about. Does that make sense? Okay, good. It didn't make sense to me, but anyway. So, but what they've done is they've rearranged it in chronological order. So as you're reading it through, you know, there's nothing magic about the order that's just how they decided to put it in there. So this idea of covenants. Now, think about this. What happened to David, or from the very beginning, what happened to uh, uh, Abraham when he broke the covenant? It's going to be a thinking Sunday, right? Abraham was called by God out of this pagan nation. You come... And, of course, he, he tested his heart with where he was with his son. He asked him to sacrifice his son. You know, in, in covenant, something is always cut. We know what was cut for the Mosaic covenant, you know. Then God was asking Abraham to cut his son, kill his son, but he stopped him, and he himself provided a lamb. That was not about a pagan God requiring something being killed. What that was, was I'm checking to see where your heart is. And the thing that's the most valuable to you, the promise that I have given you, if you're willing to give that to me, I'll know that I can cut covenant with you and trust you. But the Abrahamic covenant, what happened? He, so he, he takes 10 years to go when God said to go. You realize that? I don't know if you know that. If, God, if Abraham had left when God originally said go, then there probably wouldn't have been famine in the land when he got there. He encountered this king where he lied about his wife and gave the king his wife twice. And what does God do? Just keeps on leading him, keeps the promise. Why? Now, what happens with under the Mosaic covenant? You break the law. You die. So what's going on? This is kind of where we're going and ultimately into the new covenant. Talk about that. So we're going to click through some slides here. A covenant is ultimately a binding agreement between two or more parties. And there's a few different kinds of covenants. You can go to the next one. The first one is a royal grant covenant. A royal grant requires no action on the part of the beneficiary. 
It is an unconditional promise given from one party to another. That's why, the, the, go back to that one, that's why with Noah, Abraham, and Jesus, the covenant is different. The stipulations around the covenant are different. Next one. I think we got out of order. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You're right. I told them. Don't listen to me. You keep clicking. All right, so this is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. This is kind of an example of a grant covenant. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I'll show you. And now this is what the establishment of a grant covenant looks like. It's a declaration from a, a, a higher power or a sovereign or an entity. So I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in, all the family, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the covenant agreement that God made with Abraham. Because, God, because Abraham trusted that what God said he would do through him would actually happen. So in other words, Abraham took God at his word that he would stick to his character and do all of these things and no requirement was placed on him. You see that? That's it. Think about what you know about Abraham. What was required of him? Follow me. Pretty much, right? God made promises and he just kept those promises. All Abraham had to do was continue to believe that God is who he says that he is and keep his heart open to him. This is a grant covenant. This is what you want as a grant covenant. It starts to allude to the new covenant. Next one. So what happens when you break, when a grant covenant is broken? You, don't, it's, you almost don't want to say it, right? Nothing. You miss out on a promise that God wants to keep to you. That's what happens. And how you keep a grant covenant is you believe. So, again, I don't have any tips or tricks for you. I don't have any power poses for you this week. You know, I don't have any, like, things for you to walk away with and apply per se. This is some information, but I want it to be information that it gets installed in your mind and in your heart. And as you're reading Scripture and as you're seeking to fulfill this Christian calling that, that, that you have in your heart, and as you're seeking to follow God, I want you to know what kind of covenant that you're in. Because I don't want you questioning your salvation. I want you confident in the finished work of Jesus, knowing you are secure because God himself upholds this covenant, ultimately is what we're talking about. Now, theologians go into great detail of talking about all these different types of covenants, so there's plenty of material out there if you want to study it more, but we'll keep on going here. So the next type of covenant is a suzerain-vassal covenant. You'll see some places call it suzerain, but that word basically means sovereign, a king. And vassal means, you know, among the feudal class. These are old terms, but God operated with people this way. And you see him establish covenants according to these terms. So in this type of covenant, <clears throat> a king would make a promise to his subjects, but it, but it depended on obedience to specific terms. You can think of this covenant as a conditional promise. Moses, Israel the Mosaic Covenant, which came with the law. So in the Susan, suzerain Vassal Covenant, and if you can't see, move around. There's a few chairs up here. There's a few points here. The king himself, 
Uh, the king names himself, you know, I am the Lord your God. And this is something that, you know, God followed this pattern to the T. Uh, he establishes his authority. The king would lay out what he had done for the people in his kingdom, which testified of his character, showing that, look, because this is who I am, this is what I've done for you, now you owe me type thing. Not necessarily owe me, but just creating the stipulations. The king would give obligations for loyalty to him. So you abide by my laws, you'll trust me, you'll do this, you'll do that. And then the king would then lay out covenant blessings and cursing. So if you keep your part, this is what I'll do for you. If you break your part, this is what's going to happen. You see that in Deuteronomy 28. If you've never read that, you got some homework this week, and we'll send it out. I'll put it out where you can remember to do your homework. Read through Deuteronomy 28, but remember, you are not under a Caesar and Basil covenant. You are in a grant covenant, and it's not even to you. It's from the Father to the Son, and they uphold it. Amen. Next verse. Next. Uh. So you see this in Exodus 19, 5 through 6. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. That's kind of the establishment of it. And then you see a little bit further here. And God spoke all these words. I, this is Exodus 20, 1 and 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You see what he's doing there? He's establishing who he is. He's telling what he's done for the people. Who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall make no image for your, make for yourself an image of God, and then he clicks through the rest of the ten. Now, the thing is, with a vassal covenant, a suzerain vassal covenant, it kept changing. They kept adding more and more and more and more and more laws. You don't want to be in this type of covenant. Next one. And this is what it looked like when they talked about it. I jammed this one in here, so you might not be able to see from the back, but this is Deuteronomy 2020. In the future... This is talking about the suzerain vassal covenant of how the Israelites would talk to their children about the kind of covenant that they were in with God. In the future, when your sons ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and law, and the laws the Lord our God has commanded you, tell them, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible. So in other words, if you start saying, now why are we following this God? Why do I have to keep all these rules? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to make all these sacrifices? This is what you tell them. Um, <clears throat> but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord set signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors, the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive. And in, as is the case today, as if we are, and if we are careful to obey all of this law before the Lord our God and he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. <laughs> if you're careful to obey all the law, that which he commanded you, that will be your righteousness. That's what it takes under a suzerain vassal covenant. Let's keep going. 
So what happens when you break a suzerain vassal covenant? You die. Right. You can read it, everybody. <laughs> All together, one, two, three. Die. Yes. Next. The old covenant depended on your obedience. The new covenant is a royal grant. So what does it depend on? Jesus' obedience. Now, some of you are loving this type of studious information. Some of you are like, I want to stand up and do a power pose. Can we do that real quick? <laughs> so this is really what I want you to walk away with today. I'm just kind of giving you some information to build this in your mind of how to think about the Bible. Because if you think about it, and there's so much to talk about. The whole Bible is talking about covenants and living within the covenant and talking about the old and the new. And when they talk about the covenant, they're talking about what it looked like for that covenant to be played out, which incidentally, the word canon, you know, you've heard the, the word canon, like the Bible is the official canon or a particular book was canonized. The word canon actually has to do its covenantal language, but canon was like the documentation for a covenant. So in other words, the canon would be kept to, it would talk about how these two parties came together, what the covenant actually is, all the stipulations related to it, and then how those co that a covenant agreement played itself out. And, the, and it documented all of that. That's, that's what a large part of the Bible is, is a documentation and recording of these different covenants. Next one. <clears throat> so starting to look forward to the new covenant, when you analyze, now this is where theology is important, where you learn how to properly exegete material out of scripture so that you understand because if you don't know and you just think that we're supposed to still be under the law and you start hearing this kind of language, you don't understand the technicality of how the new covenant was announced established and upheld. And this is what we're talking about. We're setting the context of how God said the new covenant would function for those that were invited into it, which is everybody. And it's a royal grant covenant from the beginning. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of these guys prophesied about what the new covenant would be, how you enter into it. And it's all God promising things to the people that he's wanting to make this covenant with. Are you with me? And just, this is just the old covenant, what the old, what the old covenant says about the coming new covenant. Next week, we're going to talk more about the new covenant. Are you with me? All right. So the old covenant says this, that it's not like the former. It's not the same kind of covenant like the former covenant. I will not hold their sins against them. That's one of the promises that God makes under this new covenant. I will not hold your sins against you. Wow. Are you kidding me? Because the former one was like a, a documentation of sin and detailed instruction on what to do when we sin. So now you're telling me this new covenant, all that's done? You're not going to hold my sin against? What? Yes, exactly. Totally opposite of what the other one was. Why? Because God, the sovereign, the suzerain, decided this is the way this covenant's going to be. I'll give them a new heart. And like we talk about in here a lot, there's so much meat in giving you a new heart. 
Essentially, it's your new creation identity. It's you being brought from death to life. It's that circumcision that was performed without hands that cut away the body of flesh. In other words, that sin core within you was cut out and replaced with a new core, a new heart, a new essence. God's spirit has been placed in there. You, not only will I promise to bless you, will I promise to bless your seed and the people that come from you, I'm going to change even the kind of being that you are. into an eternal type of being that can live with me forever. I will write my ways and laws on their hearts and in their hearts. So in other words, this is, it will be, now it was code language for them. They understood, okay, so what I have to do, you know, when this new covenant is being cut, everybody asks, what's my part? What am I going to have to do? And have you ever asked yourself that? What, do I, what am I supposed to do? Like, how do I keep God happy? That's a bad question. How, how do I uphold my end of this Christianity thing, right? And it's all about identity. It's just like Abraham. You trust that God will do what he said he would do. Amen. That is how you uphold your end of this bargain. Amen. And the thing about it is, is that belief and trust actually shapes behavior more than rule-keeping. So if, it's, if it is within your identity to live righteous and live holy and live above the power and the strength of sin, like if that's who you believe that you actually are, you will perform that way. But if you believe that you're just weak and you're just always going to struggle with sin, but you've got these rules over here and I'm not supposed to do that and I'm not supposed to do that, you're going to fail all the time. So God is not just laying out what his laws are, what he's telling them is, look, I'm going to change you, so you're actually just going to naturally live in harmony with me. That's where you are now. And that's what we talk about all the time. I'm convinced the more that you know that you're a sheep, the more you'll act like a sheep. I'm not really interested in what you act like. I'm more interested in what you think you are and who you think that you are. Because if you start to believe the truth about what God has done in you through the Spirit of God, everything changes about your life. I've seen it too many times, personally and with other people. It's just, it's just the power of the gospel is transformative. <clears throat> and I will place my spirit within them. You know, these are guys for hundreds of years that walked around with a box, the Ark of the Covenant. And it had the stipulations of that covenant inside it, right? The Ten Commandments that were given to Moses were placed inside that box. And that box represented the presence of God. You know, can you imagine for hundreds of years, this ark is secret and it's hidden away behind this curtain. And it, it, whenever you do see it, it kills people. And if you, if you carry it the wrong way or if it gets stolen, it wipes out an entire nation. And it's like, okay, the power that's on that thing is going to be in you. Like, they would have understood that. Can you imagine how weird and confusing that? Like, I don't think we understand on our side how profound it is that that power is in us. And it's not in you to judge you. You've already been judged in Christ. It's not in you to make you feel bad for where you are in life. It's in you to say, you're mine. You belong to me. I have good plans for you. Go this way. 
This is not who you are. Go that way. There's blessing over there. Quit asking me for to go get it and bring it to you. Take this step here. Move this way. Stop that. Put okay. that down. Do this. Walk this way. There's your blessing. Keep going. That's how God will lead you. Quit praying for God to move mountains and pray that you're leadable to get to where that blessing is because I promise you that's what he has for you. That's, that's what he has for you. Maybe your blessing is healing that you're trying to connect to. You know, we're praying for Cheryl, which, by the way, her cancer tumor markers have been cut in half and, and then in half again. So if y'all are watching, praise God. My mom is getting ready to start. Those of you that I don't know, my mom is battling with a, a bout of, it's a skin cancer, but it's pretty severe. And the treatment, they've actually walked back the treatment that she's going to be doing. Uh, it's less uh, strong. So good news. All right, so let's keep going. <clears throat> now, there's so much to talk about setting up the new covenant. And, and, and I challenge you to do this, especially the book of Hebrews. You know, if you don't have time to read the entire book of Hebrews, you're probably booking yourself too tight. But, but at least read <laughs> Hebrews 6, 7, 8, 9, kind of in the middle there. But I, I'm going to give you some homework to read the book of Hebrews this week and, and look at it from the context of covenant rather than, you know, because a lot of times we read the Bible and we're like, okay, what I'm supposed to get the exact meaning out of this? What does it mean? And then you're like, okay, so what am I supposed to do? Wait, you're telling me that there's this and, oh, man, that feel, now I feel guilty and I'm a horrible, you know. First off, you got to quit feeling guilty because you don't actually know exactly what it already says. I mean, you know, so many Christians feel guilty because they don't know the Bible. Well, you know God. You've got the spirit of the living God within you. The Bible should only testify to it. The Bible is a collection of archaeological, his, historical, poetic, narrative stories that tell you about God who lives in you. Amen. not saying throw the Bible away. I'm just saying it's not the reason you believe. The reason you believe is because Jesus came up out of that grave. Amen? Amen? Amen. Your faith is based on a resurrection not a book. Anyway, side note. So this is looking toward, toward a new covenant, Hebrews 8, 6. But in fact, so when you understand that a large part of Paul's ministry was talking to people who were trying to understand and grasp the concept first that Gentiles could be saved because all the former covenants had been made to people within their lineage. Now... There's a covenant that sounds like, God, you're saying that the entire planet could be part of this covenant. I'm not so sure about that. We're the elect, which that word elect is always used to describe the Israelites, not who God had chosen ahead of time who could be saved. Another shift for you. but So Paul's constantly battling with the Israeli, the, the Jewish mindset, the lineage of Abraham mindset that this is not just for you, this is for everybody. And Jesus is now the one who is initiating and upholding an eternal new covenant. And that's what he's doing. He's battling those that are holding on to the old, but even misusing the old, which describes a lot of our churches today. Holding on to the old, misusing the old. Don't throw away the old. No, it's just fulfilled. Anyway, next week we're going to go into that a little bit more. 
So, but in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, the former priests, as the covenant. He's set, what he's doing is he's showing how superior the new covenant is. It's, more, it's as superior as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one. The new is superior to the old. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. That's what it's established on. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. Now, next week, we're going to go into looking at how that has been set aside. And you, what you got to realize is all the law, all the stipulations, all the requirement that was given along with that old covenant, this video shows us, yes, Jesus fulfilled it for all who believe in him, but the Gentiles, us, that was never even required for us. You know, and there's a battle in the New Testament between the Jewish believers through Paul and the non-Jewish believers of whether or not they have to do things like be circumcised and keep the feasts and do all these things that we've been doing for generations and generations because after all, this is our God. And, and Paul's like, you know what? It's of no value, that stuff. Amen. All right, let's keep going. So he went to war for the new covenant, the Apostle Paul. This is Galatians 5, starting in verse 4. You who are trying to be justified... Now, I mean, this is... When you understand that he's, he's battling for the understanding of the establishment of the new covenant, how these guys are holding on to the old and trying to say... Let's keep the Ten Commandments up on the wall behind the judge. Let's this. It's like, they're good ideas. You know, it doesn't mean that you throw that away and you can go murder. That's not the point. The point is, what is it that God requires of you to be accepted within him? So, but really what he was battling is all these Jewish believers that were imposing Judaism on all these new believers, saying, well, you got to do it this way. You got to be circumcised. You got to keep the feast. You got to do this. And oh, by the way, that sin thing. So, you who are trying to be justified by the law, and this is what I want to say to some of these preachers. I, I've tried to be nice to some of these guys that call us heretics or some of these people that got one foot still in the old covenant, and I hear these horror stories about these churches around here that just don't seem to get it. Now, they're my brothers in Christ. They're our sisters in Christ. We're not better than them. We just might have a little bit more understanding on what the actual new covenant even really is and how God relates to us through this new covenant. And I'm telling you, I don't know what that looks like, but God, I feel a little bit of boldness rising up for the future of what, what our voice looks like in this community. Y'all down for that? Amen. We'll just see what that looks like. All right. And it might look like this, us telling them, hey, boys, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. Now, we think sin is falling from grace, but really it starts with self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is the beginning place of falling from grace. God, I've done this. I've prayed. I've given. I've been to church, and my life still sucks. What's going on? Well, you self-righteous thing, you... You think that you deserve to be blessed because of that? <laughs> you don't know what kind of covenant you are in. 
For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For if in Christ Jesus neither circumcision, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value at all. Amen. Now, to a Jew, it's kind of like telling a Christian, your Bible is of no value at all. It, because their, their entire relationship with God hinged around it. Circumcision. It was what qualified you to be in the covenant family. Are you with me? Do you see it? I mean, like some of these things, we just don't really grasp the severity of what was happened, what had to happen. And so that's, that's kind of where I was going is that, so neither circumcision, so if what he's saying is circumcision has no value, your efforts to be made righteous are of no value. Amen. They do not add anything. There's another place where he says, are you so foolish that you've begun in the spirit, but now you're going to continue in the flesh? So you've been saved by grace through faith, and now you're going to work to keep your salvation? You know, but when you filter it through covenantal understanding, you understand what he's talking about. Absolutely, there's an expectation of transformation. No question at all. But God promises transformation. It's not a demand. It's not a commandment that you transform. It's an invitation. It's a promise. Trust me. Believe me. Walk with me. Live in my ways, and you will experience this. Amen. Kind of just looking a little bit more about this type of covenant. Hebrews 7, uh, starting in verse 19, For the law never made anything perfect. You kind of, you, you, like, you know that, right? <laughs> like, how hard have you tried... And it ain't working. The law never made anything perfect. So you know what? You can just, whew. All right. But now we have confidence in a better hope through which we draw near to God. This new system was established with a solemn oath from God. Aaron's descendants became priests without such an oath. But there was an oath regarding Jesus. And this is a, a quote from a psalm where God promised to Jesus who he would be eternally. And this was an oath from God. And I think it's an oath that Jesus held on to even when he was in that grave. Amen. Even when he died your death, passed into that grave. There are so many prophetic psalms of what the Messiah was going through in the grave and one of the things that Jesus held in his mind was that, no, I will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever. A priest over what? A new covenant. And a priest presides over that covenant and over the subjects within that covenant. So he's the sovereign and the priest and the guarantee. Because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees Amen. this better covenant with God. I mean, I, I kind of hope that this is hitting you as heavy as it should. Amen. You know, it's not just information. I hope it rearranges how you understand your relationship with God. Jesus is your guarantee. Jesus is your righteousness. Amen. Jesus is your redemption. 
Now, does that make you want to run out and dive into a bottle of Jack Daniels and, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever your thing is? Does that make you want to do that? Or is that... No, I want, to, I want to live. I want to live as that purchased person. I want to live as that holy person. I want to live as that person that understands and protects and guards this, this presence within me. I carry the presence of God. I am a living, breathing, moving testimony of God. Like the Ark of the Covenant was. His laws are in me. His spirit is in me. His word is in my mouth. I represent him. That's what God has wanted all along is covenant people to move in this earth and be a blessing to all nations. Is the church a blessing to all nations? It should be. <laughs> that's what we want to move toward, right? I mean, that's what the church should be. What are we known for? Bickering. Lauren Daigle, who's got to go on Ellen and is going on all these, she's crossing over. She is being raked over the coals because she didn't say, homosexuality is a sin. You know, she didn't preach judgment. She said, now maybe she could have handled it differently. Not advocating for homosexuality. But the point is, the church is attacking her. Why? She didn't show up with judgment in her mouth. That's why they're attacking her. Anyway, next one. God himself upholds his eternal covenant for me. God himself upholds my part of Christianity. What do I have to do? Well, there is one thing. Believe. If... You know, if the things of God seem hard to you, you're, you either think it depends on you or you're continually making bad choices. Like, so there are people going through hard things. And I'm not talking about the people dealing with health issues. I'm talking about people dealing with repetitive substance abuse, financial discord. And I'm thinking, okay, here, let's get real for a minute, all right? Because we all love people that are stupid, and what they've done is made a series of bad decisions. And then you show up in the middle of their stupid and you try to minister to them and it doesn't work for them. Why? Because they're stupid. <laughs> now, they are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but their thinking is stupid. Are you with me? And so if you're trying to unwind and get down in their logic and sort through where they are and in their thinking and you start to adopt a toxic person's mindset and, and communicate with them on that level, you're stupid. <laughs> Don't be stupid. Are you with me? So the, here's the thing, because we feel like, man, how do I help this person? You know, they've got a long track record that brought them to where they are. There's a, and, and this is why the church is heavy on repentance. Repent, repent, repent. Because if you convince God of how sorry you are for all that lineage of stupid, then he'll show up and bless you and move you and change you. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand what kind of covenant that you are in. You don't understand who God is. You don't understand the price that Jesus paid for this person. You don't understand the spirit of the living God is inside of them right now, but the 
only problem this person has is they have hardened their heart to the influence of God. And the, the absolute best way for you to minister to somebody to help them soften their heart is love them. Amen. Tell them how much God Amen. loves them. Bring them around people that will help you love them. Give them things that teach them who they are in Christ, Amen. what Jesus has done for them, and then they start to change who they think that they are. You know, you, you, you ever get to scrolling on Instagram and you watch like, I get on those UFC knockouts, right? <laughs> but I got on one where like it was some blooper thing. It was a comedian's. I was watching a John Christ one and it got on this one guy and he's like, he's like, I tell you what, I came home the other day and my, my wife had, my girlfriend had watched a marathon of cheaters. And now she thinks that I'm cheating. She's looking at all this and all this and all that. And I'm like, that's right. That's what happens. You sit and you condition yourself, and then that's how you think, and then you start looking for that stuff. And then it's reflected in your behavior. Oh. That, that is, we are highly suggestible. Oh, yeah. We are programmed and conditioned to believe and think the way that we are. But here's the deal. You can be in control of that process. You can control and program and discipline yourself and sow into you those things that you want to come out of you. But you have to do it intentionally. You got to rearrange your world so that what is being sown into you is where you want to go. And quit blaming the world, quit blaming your mama, quit blaming your daddy, quit blaming the government, quit blaming Trump, whatever. <laughs> Take responsibility for your life because you got a power in you stronger than anything that you've ever known. Amen. And if you get into agreement with it, Amen. you will change. Amen. You will change. And, and that presence promised to lead you and guide you in all truth and love you along the way and remind you, hey, mm -mm. you know, when you feel that oh, over sin, you should feel that. But the presence alongside of it is not judging and condemning. It's saying, no, see, this is not healthy for you. Go this way. Amen. Come this way. Make this decision. Now, I'm thinking about where I'm going in January I'm reading this book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Have anybody, anybody heard of that book? This guy's kind of a big name. In the, he's not, I, don't, I think he's a believer, but uh, if you want to get ahead of the game, pick up that book, Atomic Habits. You know, atomic being small, small steps, incremental steps. This guy was busted in the face with a baseball bat, and he had to relearn a bunch of stuff, and he's kind of, kind of a big name in the, in the habit industry. Anyway, but you know, I'm not going to turn that stuff into works. You know, so what I do is I lift stuff out of that, principles and interesting, useful, and helpful things, and apply it to Christianity, not to try to work and be a better Christian, but applying these things so that I'm freeing distractions from my life that keep me from hearing and following God. Amen. You know, in Christianity, you're not trying to become something. You're trying to remove from you those things that are keeping you from being who you already are. Yes. Yes. You're like that masterpiece in that block of marble that Michelangelo looked and saw David already in that refuge piece of rock, and all he did was take away what didn't need to be there, and there's the masterpiece. That's you. You are already solid gold through and through because the Spirit of the living God has changed you, and that's what you are. And so we're just brushing away those things that are keeping you from showing that glory. Amen? Amen? Man, I could preach for another hour. Y'all want to keep going? Yeah. But we're moving toward being reconciled, right? Amen. Not moving toward being reconciled, understanding that we are reconciled. 
God himself upholds your covenant with God. So what do you do? You follow Jesus, whatever that looks like. If that looks like you build a ridiculously successful business, you do that. If you manage and own restaurants, you do that. You follow Jesus. If you're called into the ministry, do that. Talk to me first. (laughs) Whatever it is, follow Jesus. Amen? Amen? Well, Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for being obedient to the death of the cross. Thank you for fulfilling, even under that old covenant, all of the laws and stipulations that, uh, require, that were required for righteousness. Thank you for taking all of the curse of the penalty of the covenant, breaking all the curse for my sin you have already paid for. And I want to use that as fuel to live well within that righteousness and that holiness that you've given me. Jesus, I thank you for upholding the covenant for me, that I am in you and you are an eternally righteous creature and as I am in you. We give you all praise and glory for that salvation. Thank you, Lord.